Aptus episode 123, the Maginot Line. Got a question for you. What strategy are you currently employing to raise the probability of success in your chosen endeavor? That's a very simple question, but it's a very profound question. Let me ask you again. What strategy are you currently employing to raise the probability of success in your chosen endeavor? I don't care what that endeavor is. It could be personal. It could be professional. All of us should have some endeavors that we're trying to accomplish. And we need to ask ourselves, what is the probability of success with my chosen endeavor with the strategy I'm currently employing? You need to be honest about that because it's important to stop and think about the strategy model that we are using. Churches, business leaders, families, they talk a lot about vision. There's a lot of books about vision. There's a lot of articles out there on the internet that talk about vision. There's a lot of talk about tactics and you know different tools and things like that. And all those things are very, very good. However, your strategy is going to be the guide rail that keeps that vision and the tactics in alignment to achieve what you're trying to do. Rosabeth Moss Cantor, whoever she is, I don't know who she is, but she did have a good thing to say about strategy. She says, strategy is not just a game plan or a set of rules. It is a perspective, a way of thinking about the world. And that's what's critical about strategy. Strategy is not just a game plan. Strategy is the process of thinking in your chosen endeavor. Another guy by the name of Henry Mitzberg said this, strategy is a pattern and a stream of decisions. And that's the, that's the critical difference between strategy versus tactics and vision. Strategy is my, is my pattern of decisions. It is how I'm filtering things. It, it, is my, it is my worldview, my perspective that I'm employing to keep me on path to accomplish the vision. A lack of foresight and an overarching strategy is going to allow you to be sucked into a hundred different tasks. And you're going to be incredibly busy, you're, you, but you're not going to be productive. You're going to be wore out, but you're not going anywhere. You, you're not going to be making ground on your vision. And church leaders are especially susceptible to this because there's always a lot to do. You know, there's always another sermon to prepare for. There's another meeting to be had. There's another training event to go to, counseling, weddings, funerals, budget review. I mean, the list goes on and on. And we can keep all those balls in the air, but we're simply walking in circles if we don't have a strategy making sure that we're moving forward. If you want to stop walking in circles, and sometimes you have to stop and evaluate where you are, where you want to go, and what strategy you're going to use to get there. And I'm not talking about tactics. Again, this is critical to understand. I'm really harping on this in the beginning because we get confused on this sometimes. I'm talking about mindsets, philosophies, and plans. Strategies help you to prioritize what you need to be doing at work to accomplish your goal. Now, let me give you an illustration from history. I, I know you probably get wore out listening to history illustrations, but I'm the one doing the podcast and I love history, so bear with me. As you know, perhaps one of the most uh, interesting and fascinating periods of history for me is, is the World War One, World War II era. You know, the first really 45 years of the American history is just very, very fascinating uh, time frame uh, in the world. And what's interesting about World War One is that's the first time to have a large-scale war following the Industrial Revolution. And so what you had was mechanized warfare for the first time. 
before World War One, you you had rifles that were pretty accurate. You had you know cannon fire things like that, but moving that stuff was very difficult. It had to be done by railway or beast of burdens. It wasn't very efficient. However, you get to World War One, and now you see machine guns, you see tanks, you even see some aviation. And what you have done is you have industrialized death. And in the early stages of the war, there was just absolute mass casualties. Today, the French are mocked as cowards, but if you're a student of human uh, history, you know that in World War I, that the French were anything but cowards. They had this legacy following Napoleon that they were just tough warriors and they were going to be on the offensive. That was a Napoleon tactic, just always be on the offensive, always put the, put the pedal to the metal. And so when the war kicked off, the French were ready to defend their homeland. They were ready to go fight the Germans. And what did they do? They employed many of the tactics that had worked well in the past, mainly offensive charges in the form of bayonet and cavalry charges. Now, you know what happens when you take off running towards a machine gun with your bayonet charge? You know what happens when you take off on a cavalry charge towards a machine gun nest? You get slaughtered. One of the deadliest days of any battles of all time was on August 22nd, 1914, 20 7,000 French soldiers were slaughtered, mainly because they just kept chasing and taking charges towards machine gun nests. Now, what happened? The strategy and the tactics had not adjusted for the new reality. There was a lot of deadly difficulties that the army had to go through in the early days of World War I because they had not adjusted their strategy for the new reality. So as the armies started making adjustments, the war ended up into a trench warfare. And in the end, the French won mainly because they figured out how to build fortresses that were effective against rudimentary tanks of the Germans. Now, fast forward to 1928. The French are still reeling from the consequences of the First World War, and they decide that they need to defend the homeland and fortify their borders. So they came up with this brilliant idea. We're, we're going to build a long wall along the French and German border. And the French government commissioned this, and they built a massive, massive barrier known as the Maginot Line. It stretched for 280 miles from the Swiss Alps all the way to the Ardennes Forest. And the Maginot Line was just a feat of, of military engineering. I mean, it, it just really shows how much the, the French did not want to get into another war. The Maginot Line had this intricate network of tunnels. It was reinforced concrete, fortable you know, artillery uh, placements along the line. They even had a strategy of how they would, they would funnel the enemy into different kill zones. I mean, they went all out. There, there was just a massive, massive undertaking to build this Maginot Line. And as it took shape, it really became a symbol of, of the French's you know, commitment to national security. The scale of it is just unbelievable. You can still look at videos today, 100 years later, and you're still impressed at what they built. It was amazing. However, there was a couple critical problems with the Maginot Line, and we're just going to focus on one. There was a weak spot in the line in the Ardennes Forest. Now, check this out. The French military commanders did not believe that the German tanks that they saw in World War I could make it through the forest. So they really didn't shore up those lines along the Ardennes Forest very much. And once again, technology changed, but the strategy didn't, and the results were disastrous. 
In the spring of 1940, the Germans unleashed a military campaign known as the Blitzkrieg and employed innovative tactics and overwhelming speed. German forces, led by uh, General Rommel, maneuvered around the Maginot Line, mainly through the Ardennes Forest, exploiting its weaknesses and bypassing the defense. So basically, they built this 280-mile wall, and the Germans drove around it. Now, this is just a macro example of what happens to churches all the time. We employ strategies today that worked well yesterday without fully understanding why that strategy worked yesterday. That's the key. It's not that the strategy is good or bad. It's that we don't understand why the strategy worked yesterday. Therefore, we don't truly have an understanding if that strategy is going to work today. There's nothing wrong with employing old strategies if you understand the context of why it worked and why it will work today. So what's, all the, what's, what's the point of all this for JFA today? Well, the point is this, is that we do have a mandate from heaven. And that mandate is to shepherd the people, nourish the flock, win the lost, do compassion ministry, all the things we've talked about over the last several weeks. And this is a very simple command, but it's a very complex process. And what you see in the early days of the, of the church in the book of Acts is that they had strategies to accomplish this. You know, and, and we're to do the same thing. There's a lot of tasks. There's a lot of tactics that we've been called to do. You know, preach the gospel, disciple the lost, nurture the sheep, feed the poor, bless the widows, watch out for the orphans. We're, we're called to do all these things. We're, we're called to help make men know that they need to be God-fearing men. We're called to make sure that women know that they need to be God-fearing women. We're, we're to instill biblical truths into the next generation. We, we have all these different commands, so we better have some strategies to accomplish these things. Because good intentions are not enough. We need a system of decision-making to prioritize what needs to happen and what needs to happen. So let me just give you very quickly some thoughts on strategy. Here, here's the first thought on strategy. From time to time, we need to stop, look around, evaluate the vision, and ask, what strategy do I need to be employing to help me to progress the kingdom vision? Let me give you an example of what's worked really well for us here at the church. We have a value of welcoming people into the family of God. We want to bring people into the family, help them find their seat on the bus quickly, and allow them to have the freedom to move around the bus if they need to. So what strategy did we employ? Next steps. 45 minutes on a Sunday afternoon has allowed us to build a volunteer team in the neighborhood of 120 people, and no one is serving more than two times a month on a Sunday. That's a success. I'm, I'm happy with that. That is a strategy that is working. To speed up the process even more, we developed a training platform, Aptus, which allows us to send people 15-minute videos, giving them the big idea of their serving opportunity, and now we don't have to pull them away from their family on another night of the week. We've heard so much good feedback about this. Success. That's another successful strategy. So developing a strategy is a creative process. You have to know your vision. You have to know where you want to go. You have to know where you are, and you have to know the keys to your success. In my opinion... The key to success is a simple onboarding process for the church. If the onboarding process takes five to six weeks of classes, I just don't think anybody in our context is going to stick around that long. The strategy needs to be smooth. And so it's worked well for us. What do you need to do in your ministry? You, you need to ask yourself, what vision am I trying to accomplish? 
Maybe it's I want men to grow in Christ and lead their family. So what are we doing to help that actually happen? What strategy are we going to employ? Because our good intentions are not enough. You know, maybe it's we want our kids to be able to to quote Romans 13 or whatever. Okay, it's great. What strategy are you employing to make that happen? Second, second thought on strategy. I need to be committed to the vision, but loose with the strategy. Now, this is really, really critical to understand. As we saw with the French, the strategy that allowed Napoleon to dominate was ineffective in the new reality. Here's the deal. Every single strategy has a shelf life. I love how we do next steps. I'm 100% confident that we're going to have to change it someday. Why? Because the realities are going to change. And when the realities change, we're going to need a new strategy to employ. But here's the problem is that we get comfortable with our strategies because it's familiar to us. It's easier just to keep doing the same thing over and over again because we can do it fast. We can do it quick and we're busy. We don't have time to step back and think through process and contemplate strategies. That's that's very time consuming. It's very laborsome. So a lot of times we just love our strategy. We just keep employing it more and more and more. And here's what happens. We start falling in love so much with what we do that we love what we do more and we love the vision. Remember I said wave after wave of Frenchmen charged with their bayonets to their death. Why? Because they were a people of honor. And it was more honorable to charge your death than to dig a trench and to take up a defensive stand. You know, this is valiant. This is inspiring. That also didn't win them a lot of battles in the beginning. You know, to quote General Patton, you don't win wars by dying for your country. You win wars by making someone else die for his. And that's what the French forgot. They fell in love with their strategy in the beginning more than they fell in love with the idea of actually winning. And a lot of churches and ministries are like that. They're like a bayonet charge. We call it faithful. We call it love what we're doing. But the reality is we're, we're losing the war. And so from time to time, when you stop, look around, evaluate the vision and say, hey, is this strategy that I'm currently employing still effective to accomplish the vision? If the answer is no, we need to cut bait and run. We're not here to employ strategies. We're here to accomplish the vision. Third thought on strategy. When it is time to change a strategy, I need to research, decide, and have an understanding of why the new strategy will work. Here's another mistake in strategy. When a lot of leaders realize their current strategy isn't working anymore, they panic, make a rash decision on a new strategy without studying the new realities. They try something someone else is doing without knowing someone else's context. And they ploy it in their own ministry, and it isn't working. When, when developing a new strategy, you need to do your due diligence to weigh your options, to gain an understanding of your new reality, and pray through to find the right change. When a strategy isn't working, you need to adjust quickly because it's evident that the new strategy is not working. However, you don't want to change too many times because it starts to wear out your team. So there's this balancing act in there. That's why you really need to do your your due diligence on the front end before you start presenting this stuff to your team so you don't wear them out with constantly shifting strategies. I want to wrap it up with this thought. We need a strategy for everything that we do. And this isn't just a, a lesson that's good for us in ministry. I mean, we need a strategy for our health. We need a strategy for our spiritual life. We need strategies for raising our kids and for you know dating our spouses. We need a strategy in literally every area of our life. 
Now, I know that sounds like a lot of work, but you already have a strategy if you're defined it or not. So you might as well have some sort of predetermined strategy. Remember, strategy is just a pattern and a stream of decisions. You already are making decisions. You already have a pattern. So you might as well define that pattern in every single area of your life to get the results that you want. God bless you.